Thanks very much, Karen. Um, so, kids, there's a word search with all those funny names for you to find uh, if you're kind of under 10 or so. And there's a quiz for older ones. Um, and I've forgotten to buy prizes, but I will get you a prize if you come and show me what you've managed to do um, afterwards. The, the questions there were quite simple questions just to help you uh, follow along in this uh, talk. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, that you speak to us through it every day. And we pray you'd open the eyes of our hearts to understand what you are saying. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you repair relationships? How do you get reconciled with someone who has hurt you? Especially when that person who hurt you is a Christian. That is what this little letter of Philemon, the shortest of Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament, is all about. Uh, Rupert from Dundonald Church got us started uh, with the first seven verses last week. But just in case, like me, you missed that, it is worth catching up uh, before we come to the rest of the letter. Philemon, you see, verse 1, is Paul's friend. He probably became a Christian after he heard the gospel from Paul. He probably lived in a town uh, called Colossae, uh, which is in southwest Turkey. Maybe some of you have been on holiday there or nearby. Uh, Philemon was a church leader as well. You can see in verse 2, the church meets in his home. Uh, as Rupert said last week, Philemon was a good, godly, gospel guy. He also owned slaves. And one of them was called Onesimus. Now, as soon as we hear about slavery, I guess a couple of different images might jump into our minds. Maybe it's uh, the image of uh, an estimated 50 million people living in modern-day hidden slavery all around the world. Or maybe it's the estimated 12 million African slaves stolen from their homeland and transported across the Atlantic over the course of 400 years. But as soon as we see pictures of slavery like that in our minds, we need to say, actually, that's not what the Bible is talking about uh, when it comes to slavery in the New Testament. We need to remember that both the Old Testament and the New Testament condemn all forms of uh, what we might call man-stealing. Here are a couple of uh, verses just to get us straight on that. So Deuteronomy 24, it says, If someone is caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and treating or selling them as a slave, the kidnapper must die. You must purge the evil from among you. Or in uh, the New Testament, 1 Timothy 1 says the law is for lawbreakers. And that includes um, slave traders and liars and perjurers. So the, the Old Testament and the New Testament condemn all forms of man-stealing. But most slavery in the New Testament isn't man-stealing. Slavery was an ordinary feature of life in the Roman Empire. Lots of people were slaves. Lots of people owned slaves. Most slaves had significant legal rights and social rights and, and good pay. Most slaves weren't slaves by birth. They weren't slaves for the whole of their life. And they weren't slaves because of the color of their skin. And that is the world that Philemon and Onesimus lived in. So I want you to picture the scene. There's Philemon. He's Paul's friend. He's a church leader in Colossae. He's a good guy. And he receives a letter from Paul. It's delivered by another one of his friends. 
And that letter is to the whole church. It's the letter that we call in our Bibles Colossians. But alongside this particular uh, postman, there's another postman. And this guy's looking a little bit sheepish. He's got his tail between his legs. He can't quite look Paul in the eyes. His name is Onesimus, and he's holding another letter. And that's this letter that we've just heard read, the letter to Philemon, which is all about Onesimus. You see, Onesimus has run away from Philemon. He has wronged Philemon a big time. But now, somehow, he's become a Christian. So what should happen next? Remember the question at the beginning? How do you fix relationships between two Christians, one of whom has hurt the other significantly? What does reconciliation look like? Well, maybe that is a very real question for you this morning. Maybe there's someone in this church who has hurt you. Maybe you've been hurt by a Christian friend or a Christian family member. There may be some people here this morning who've actually... They've been hurt so much by Christians in the past that you you sit here and you think, I can't bring myself to call myself a Christian anymore because, or I, I can't imagine being a Christian because if God's people treat me like that, why would I want anything to do with him? But whoever we are and whatever our past, this letter has a lot to say to us because it's all about the gospel. It's all about the amazing news that God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus And so we can be reconciled to others as well. It's written to Philemon first. It's a private letter. But it's not just a private letter. It's a public letter. The lessons inside it are for us as well. So here are three headlines. If you're doing the quiz, this is where you need to fill in uh, the first uh, blank. Here we are, two letters, Colossians, Philemon. uh, Lesson number one, Christian reconciliation is based on love. Christian reconciliation is based on love. Verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Just look back to verses 4 and 5. Paul has thanked God for Philemon's love. You see, I thank my God because I hear about your love for all God's holy people. Philemon didn't just say, oh yeah, I love Christian people. Philemon actually did love Christian people in practice. And now Paul says, here you go, here's another opportunity to love Christian people. Verse 9 again. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Do you notice Paul doesn't call himself an apostle? He doesn't say, Philemon, I am one of God's specially, uh, Jesus' specially chosen, authorized messengers. I am going to give you a command and tell you what to do. He just says, Philemon, I'm an old man. and I'm a prisoner. I'm locked up in a Roman jail. He doesn't pull rank and he doesn't boss Philemon about. He just says, Philemon, I love you and I want you to love Onesimus too. Because as Philemon stands there reading this letter, I think Onesimus is the hardest person in the world for him to love. You see that verse 11? Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Do you notice in the Bible the little footnote in verse 10? 
it says Onesimus means useful. Well, maybe that was his actual name. Maybe more likely it was a name that Philemon gave to him. But useful Onesimus became literally useless when he ran away from home and worse than useless because he stole from his master. We'll think about that later. But now Onesimus is a Christian. And so you see verse 10, Paul says, he became my son. That means his spiritual son. Somehow this runaway slave has found his way to Paul in prison and he's become a follower of Jesus too. And so Paul says, everything has changed. Useless Onesimus has become useful to you and to me. And so Paul does something rather clever, which we can't see in our English. But uh, in the Greek, he uses a word for useful that sounds just like the word for Christ. Euchariston, useful, Christu, Christ. He's connecting Onesimus with Christ. He's saying, look, Christ's love has united me and Onesimus and also you and Onesimus. He's now useful in Christ to you. He's connected to you. And so how can Philemon be reconciled to Onesimus? It's not by being bossed around. It's not by Paul saying, look, friend, I am an apostle. Listen to my orders. Do the right things. Sort it out. Fix things up. That is not the way Christian reconciliation works. It doesn't work by laying down the law to other people, saying, you've got to do this. It doesn't work by laying down the law to ourselves and saying, I've really got to do this. Christian reconciliation is based on love. So I wonder this morning, is there a Christian in your life who you've given the label useless to? They failed you, hurt you, betrayed you, let you down. You've, you've written them off. You will struggle ever to really trust them again. You, to be honest, you don't really want that much to do with them anymore. I think that is the way Philemon thinks about Onesimus. His feelings were understandable. Ours will be understandable too. But just like Paul appeals to Philemon, God appeals to us on the basis of love. It may feel impossible to love, but the love Christ has given us makes it possible to give that love to others. Even if that person is the hardest person in the world to love right now. When that sort of love fills our hearts, it spills over into the lives of others. And I think that is what Paul begins to talk about in the next lesson. So second, Christian reconciliation is a family matter. Christian reconciliation is a family matter. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. So Onesimus has become Paul's helper in prison. You didn't get a three-star service and Xbox and um, all sorts of nice things when you were in prison in Rome those days. You had to have friends and, and other people come along to you and deliver you clothes and food and all that kind of stuff. So it's not surprising that Paul loves Onesimus. But he still loves Philemon, and he can't do wrong by Philemon. It would be wrong for him to keep Philemon's slave to himself. He needs to tell his friend. And so Paul says, honesty is the best option, and I'm going to give Philemon two options. Verse 14. I did not want to do anything without your consent, 
so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated you f- from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Now, what exactly is Paul angling for here? I think there are two options. Maybe Paul is subtly trying to persuade Philemon to send Onesimus back to prison in Rome to help out Paul. Subtly or kind of gently twisting his friend's arm for a favour. That is what some people think verse 14 is all about, a voluntary favour. But then verse 15, I think, kind of seems to suggest the opposite. Onesimus has come to Rome, he's become a Christian, he's been sent home by Paul, and and now Philemon, verse 15, can have him back forever. He needs to accept him back into the household. Is that what Paul wants Philemon to do? Well, I don't think we really need to choose between those two as if they're kind of mutually exclusive options. Paul isn't forcing his friend into one decision. He's giving him freedom to decide. He's not manipulating Philemon. He's motivating him with the gospel. Because he says Christian reconciliation is a family matter. Look again at the end of verse 15. You might have him back forever. How? No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother... He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Don't you think those words must have stung Philemon a little bit? What? Anesimus, a brother to me? I'm the master. He's the slave, not a brother. But that is what the gospel does, you see. The gospel punctures our self-centered ideas about the world. It is, if you like, God's perfect version of cancel culture because it cancels out all the differences between ourselves that we love to see between ourselves and we hold on to so tightly. Rich or poor, black or white, Asian or African or European, female or male, politically left or politically right, left school at 16 or or on our third PhD, lovers of pop culture or high culture, homeowners or renters, common people, uncommon people, all of us instinctively see each other as fitting into this grid, a grid of differences. And, And sometimes we can look at other Christians in the same way. And when we look at other Christians in the same way, it can be very, very difficult to fix broken relationships because we think to ourselves, well, they belong to that part of the grid and I'm this part of the grid. Why should I bother trying to fix this relationship with them? But the gospel says no to all that. God has cancelled those differences between us. Christian reconciliation is a family matter. It's just what Paul says. Do you remember Philemon receives two letters on the same day? Philemon and Colossians. He says the same thing in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here, that is in the church, amongst God's people, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Whatever differences we see between ourselves, God levels it all in Jesus. Now, of course, those differences still exist. We don't ignore them. They're real, but we don't define ourselves by them. In the church, we are Jesus' family. 
Now, no family is perfect, but God's plan in this family is to make every single one of us a bit more like the perfect big brother, a bit more like Jesus. And we need to remember that when we struggle with a difficult relationship or when we think, but they belong to that part of the grid and I'm in this part of the grid. I don't want to be reconciled. No, God says to us, we are brothers and sisters together. There may be different options about how we seek that reconciliation, just like there were different options, I think, for Philemon. But beneath those options is this wonderful reality of spiritual family. And that should motivate us to do what we can to make things better, to fix things if they're difficult. Even in ways that we would never have imagined possible before. And I think that is what the last part of the letter is all about. Christian reconciliation goes above and beyond. Christian reconciliation goes above and beyond. Verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. So Paul finally gets to the point in his letter where he asks Philemon to do something concrete. He says, give Onesimus the sort of welcome you would give to me. I don't know how, Paul, how Philemon would have welcomed Paul. I, I guess at the very least he would have shook his hand. More than that, he probably would have given him a big hug and a kiss. He probably then would have found him a really nice room to stay in and ordered um, a really nice takeaway or something like that. Philemon needs to receive Onesimus as a friend, but more than a friend, as a brother, and more than a brother, as a gospel partner like Paul, because they're not just on the same family now, they're on the same team. And just in case Philemon is standing there reading the letter thinking, I'm really not sure I can do this, you don't understand what he's done to me, Paul shows him that he can do it. Verse 18, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hands. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. It's a brilliant little picture of the gospel. You see, Paul says, I will pay Onesimus' debt. He's probably stolen from you, I understand that. I'm going to pay his debt because Jesus paid our debt. You see, we've all run away from God from our rightful master, from our rightful Lord. All of us were by nature slaves to sin, incapable of saving ourselves. We owed God a debt we could never afford to repay. But Jesus took our debt and he wrote out an IOU. He said, I'll do it. He wrote it out not with a pen, but with his own hands, his own blood as they were nailed to the cross. Jesus paid our debts. And so now we are indebted to him. Not to pay for our sin. He's done that once for all. We remember that shortly with bread and wine. We're indebted to him by giving him ourselves, our whole lives. A bit like, do you see verse um, 19, Paul says to Philemon, you owe me your life because through Paul, Philemon became a Christian. He says, not to mention me, brother, not to mention that you owe me your very self. We owe our very selves to Jesus. See, Christian reconciliation is based on the gospel, and so Christian reconciliation goes above and beyond. Verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Well, what is he asking for? What is the even more that he's asking for? Is he asking for Paul to send Onesimus to help him out in Rome? Maybe. But do you see verse 22? Paul clearly expects to come to Philemon's house soon, so I'm not sure that's the main thing. I think Paul is encouraging Philemon to set Onesimus free from slavery for good. Do you remember where we started with that little kind of sidebar about slavery? Roman slavery may have been an ordinary, everyday part of life, but it was still against God's good plan for human beings. Human beings made equally in the image of God. How could one human being own another human being? How could Philemon hang on to Onesimus as a slave if now they are brothers in the Lord? How could he own him if they are both owned by Christ? See, I think when we, get, when we scratch under the surface of this little letter, Philemon, we, we see some of the little signs of the ammunition that Christian abolitionists used to bring down the slave trade, that terrible evil. And we see encouragements as well, I think, for us today to do what we can to stand against all forms of modern-day slavery. And you know, if anyone ever says to you, well, the Bible, the Bible is pro-slavery, but we've changed our minds on that, so we can maybe change our minds on other moral issues. Take a look at Philemon. The Bible is not pro-slavery at all. But that's a little uh, bit of a diversion. Even though this little letter is written to a slave owner about a runaway slave, it's not really about slavery. It's about the gospel, especially about the power of the gospel to fix broken relationships between one Christian and another. Christian reconciliation goes above and beyond. So I wonder, if there's a Christ, is there a Christian you feel hurt by today? In this church, maybe elsewhere, have they, have they wronged you significantly and deeply? Have you understandably written them off in your heart and they wear that label around their neck, useless? Well, God may be calling us to do something that we never thought possible before, to go above and beyond, to repair our relationship with them. It may be costly. It probably will be costly. But it's nothing compared to the cost that Jesus paid. And if you're here this morning and you're wronged in the past by Christians, and so you, you think to yourself, I could never be a Christian myself. Well, the power of the gospel is for you too. Jesus paid your debt. You were a slave to sin, and Jesus set you free from slavery to serve God forever, to be part of his family. Christian reconciliation based on love, a family matter. It goes above and beyond. And just as we finish up, we might not always know what that reconciliation looks like. I think there were two little examples in these names at the end. You notice Mark, verse 24. Well, Mark deserted Paul on a missionary journey in Acts 13. And when Barnabas said to Paul in Acts 15, let's take Mark along with us, he said, no, I don't want anything to do with him. But now, many years later, I don't know, 20 years later or something, Paul is saying, Mark is my fellow worker again. There's reconciliation in practice. 
So maybe there's a Christian relationship that feels broken beyond repair. Remind yourself, God plays the long game. He hasn't written the end of the story yet. We can pray for reconciliation. We can do what we can to make it happen. On the other hand, relationships can go the other way. So you notice Demas in verse 24, he's called here a fellow worker. Just a few years later in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, Paul says, he's deserted me, he loved the world, he's left me alone. But even that, I think, is slightly strangely encouraging because we are not ultimately responsible for how others respond to us or to Christ. We are only responsible for what we can do in our response to them. So you notice verse 25, Paul signs off with a prayer for Philemon and also for his whole church, a prayer for grace. And that is all we need. Grace is enough for our sometimes messy often broken lives as well. Let me read that verse as a prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with our spirits as we think about those who've hurt us and as we think about how we can pursue reconciliation with them. We thank you and praise you for your grace. Amen.